This podcast is brought to you by Bethany Trinity Presbyterian Church. Thanks for listening. Okay, good morning, everyone. It's really good to be with you this morning. Let's go to God in prayer as we prepare our hearts to hear from His Word. Dear Father, as we come before you today, we truly want to thank you for the beginning. We thank you for how you speak to us of your creation. And we pray that today as we approach your word, that we do so with humility, uh, eagerly desiring to understand more of you and to be strengthened uh, as we know more of you in our relationship with you. And we pray that uh, you'll be able to really encourage us uh, through the understanding of Genesis 1. We pray for all these things in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. Have you ever felt wonder? Uh, wonder not is in the question, I wonder, but wonder as in the feeling of amazement and uh, the feeling of admiration where you come across something that is truly very, very beautiful, something which is very striking, which gives you a sense of wonder. Now, I remember how many years ago, I was uh, in a lake, a beautiful lake with uh, my family. And I was with a family who uh, were with me at the very same time. And it was something like this. It was, it was a beautiful lake scene. The sun was shining, the water was clear, uh, the leaves were in different colors. There was a cool breeze coming across uh, the lake. And I felt a great sense of wonder. And I turned to the husband of this other family and I asked him what he felt. And he said to me, I feel nothing. Now, how could I feel such great wonder when I was faced with this wonderful, beautiful scene of creation and he felt nothing? The reason was because we were shaped by a different story in the understanding of life. We, were, we had a different story, an overarching story which shaped our view of life. And for this other man, he thought of the world, the story which he subscribed to was that uh, we were all made up of atoms. The whole world was just randomly put together by other atoms. And so the spectrum of light that we see just happened to be pleasing to his eye. The breeze that he felt was just happened to be nice on the skin, but it was all meaningless. And that's why he felt nothing. But as Christians, as we come to God's word, we are struck with wonder of God's creation. So it begins uh, today by the very first verse, which says, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And in that one sentence, it is full of, it's pregnant of, of, of great meaning. So what we hear in this one sentence right at the very beginning of the beginning, that God is a majestic, wonderful creator. Because in the beginning, there was nothing, and yet God was there, eternally there, and he created out of nothing the heavens and the earth. And this is one of the core beliefs that we subscribe to as Christians. So in the Apostles' Creed, which we uh, subscribe to whenever we do our communion or the Lord's Supper, we say, I believe in God, the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth. And that's exactly 
why we believe in this great, almighty, powerful God. Because he creates the heavens and the earth out of nothing. But what makes it even more remarkable is when we see uh, the various details of creation. So he begins by saying, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Now the earth was formless and empty, and darkness was over the surface of the deep. And the Spirit of God was hovering over the waters. And God said, let there be light, and there was light. God saw that the light was good, and he separated the light from the darkness. God called the light day, and the darkness he called night. And there was evening, and there was morning the first day. Now, I wonder whether you find these words really remarkable. Because if you were to put yourself into the ancient world, you would never separate light from the sun, or light from the stars, or light from the moon. I mean, these were the days before electricity. This was the days before you could uh, get your mobile phone out and uh, turn on your torchlight function. Right? These were the days before batteries. So, for the ancient world, in the ancient, uh, for the ancient men and women, they always associated light with the sun or the moon. But here, in the book of Genesis, we see that God created light. And light was the very first thing that was there. Now, um, I came across this very, very interesting uh, fact uh, from science that actually shows that what the Bible says is consistent with our understanding with the very beginnings of the world. So in the 1920s, there was this astronomer called Edwin Hubble, and he designed the biggest telescope that there ever was in his time. And through his understanding of uh, the, the looking through his telescope, he discovered this thing called the Big Bang Theory, because he discovered that actually uh, the, the universes and the galaxies were moving away from each other at a very great speed. And so he postulated that there must have been a beginning. And that beginning came about with this Big Bang. And what many scientists believe is that Big Bang began with a flash of light, a burst of light. Now, isn't that remarkable? Because that's exactly what we see in the Bible today. That in the beginning, God created out of nothing. He created the heavens and the earth. And the very first thing that was created was light and darkness. And so... Uh, it was quite interesting because I came across some quotes by some uh, astronomers and scientists. And they said, for the scientist who has lived by his faith in the power of reason, the story ends like a bad dream. He has scaled the mountains of ignorance. He's about to conquer the highest peak. As he pulls himself over the final rock, he's greeted by a band of theologians who have been sitting there for centuries. Or even this guy who won the Nobel Prize for the discovery of the cosmic background radiation which corroborated the Big Bang. And he said, the best data we have are exactly what I would have predicted had I nothing to go on but the five books of Moses, the Psalms, and the Bible as a whole. And so what we read here in the Bible in the sense of an understanding of the world is consistent with what we see in science. In the beginning, there was nothing, and then there was a burst of light, and then there was the world that came about. And what a wonderful thing it is that we have a God 
who is so powerful and so mighty and so majestic. And so last week, we had uh, an expository preaching conference uh, where a guy from Chicago on Zoom was helping us to preach better. And he said that one of the marks of a good Bible reader was to be able to look at the structure of passages and to look for repeated words. Right? Repeated words are very important. Uh, repeated phrases are very important. Repetition is the author's way of trying to make a point to us. And as we look here in the book of Genesis, we see this idea of a mighty, powerful creator being repeated over and over again. And how do we see that? Well, we see that because there is this repetition of, and God said, right? And God said, and God said. And every time God speaks, it becomes so, right? And God said, and it was so. And God said, and it was so. And God said, and it was so. And so, day after day in the seven days of creation, sorry, in the six days of creation, we see this repetition of God speaking, and God said, and it is fruition of its completion, and it was so. What are we supposed to learn from this? We're supposed to learn that actually God creates in an easy way, in a way which is completely un, uh, you know, not understandable for us as humans. Because when we create, it is laborious, difficult, it is sweat-inducing. But when God creates, He just speaks creation into being. And God said, and it was so. And it's really remarkable because when we actually come to the very first part of the passage, this word here, God, in its original language, is actually the word uh, Elohim. And uh, this original word for God, Elohim, uh, has connotations of majesty and connotations of mighty. And so when we come to the very beginning of the world, we see this idea of the might of God majesty of God and the power of God. He creates out of nothing and fills it with the heavens and the earth. And when he speaks, it comes into being and his very name contains the essence, Elohim, that he is power, that he is mighty, and that he is majesty. And that's why as we uh, come back again to think about what we're supposed to learn from Genesis, what we're really supposed to see is the power of God, the majesty of God. And here, again, as we look at the passage, we see that even within his own name is the idea of a mighty creator, right? That he is Elohim. And so therefore, if you come back with me to the Apostles' Creed, I don't know whether you ever noticed this before, but when we speak and affirm the Apostles' Creed, what do we say? We, we say, I believe in God the Father. He is almighty, maker of heaven and earth. And so, in the creation itself, we see a mighty, almighty, majestic, powerful God. And that is why when we actually uh, 
sing songs to him. We should feel this great sense of wonder. Oh my God, when I in awesome wonder consider all the worlds thy hands have made. I see the stars. I hear the rolling thunder. The power throughout the universe displayed. When through the woods and the forest glades I wander, and I hear the birds sing sweetly in the trees, when I look down from lofty mountain grandeur and see the brook and feel the gentle breeze. And what we're supposed to see here is that from the largest creation to the smallest life, we have to see the majesty, the might, and the power of God. So think about it for a second. So I'm going to do it visually. Okay, so in the beginning, there's only darkness, right? And then God creates out of light, flash of light, the, the very first day. And from the first flash of light, he creates uh, the galaxies. And then from the galaxies, he creates uh, the, the, the solar systems, ourselves. And then he creates the earth. He creates... Uh, the air, water, and the sea. And then he creates life itself. And into that life, uh, we come to see even the smallest speck of life to be great and glorious. So what is God? He, God is a great and mighty creator. But that's not all. Because as we actually look at the creation itself, we see that there is much more to God than just being a mighty creator, Elohim. We see that there's actually more because in God, in the way that He creates, He creates in a very orderly, systematic, and wise way. So here, as we uh, look at this diagram, um, you'll see that in the six days of creation, uh, God creates in a very systematic way. There is a structure and a form. And this structure and the form gets filled up systematically and structurally by God. Okay, so this, um, this PowerPoint is quite important because it, it sort of summarizes the six days of creation. So the very first day, God creates light and darkness. But if you look on the fourth day, you will see that God creates the sun and the moon. So the structure is light and darkness, populated now and filled by the sun and the moon. On day two, God creates water and the sky. He separates the sky, fills the earth with water. On day five, we see... Oops, the sea creatures and the birds being created, which fills the air, the sky, and fills the waters. On day three, God created the land and the vegetation. And on day six, he populates it and fills it with land creatures, man and women. So visually, you can actually see it this way. Uh, you see the beginning where God, out of darkness, creates light and darkness. And then on the third day, 
He fills it with the moon and the sun. He calls it the lesser light and the greater light. And uh, we don't really have time to get into that, but probably because he wants them to be part of the created order and not some sort of mini gods or idols. On day two, he creates the sky and the sea. So on day five, he fills it with sea creatures and birds. On day three, God created the land and the waters. He separated them. And on day six, he fills it with the animals and men and women. Now, as we come to this structure, population, form, content, we've got to ask ourselves the question, why is it uh, creation is described this way? Why is it God is described as a wise, orderly, purposeful creator? And I think what's important for us to understand is in the ancient world, uh, they lived in a world which was completely opposite to the God of Genesis chapter 1. In the God of Genesis chapter 1, he is a wise God. He is a deliberate creator. He is a purposeful creator. He is a wise creator. In the ancient world, they had many, many, many gods. So these are like the pantheon of gods for the Sumerians, okay? Sumerian gods. Okay? Baal is the one that we always come across when we read the Bible or Marduk. Right? Uh, here are the gods of Mesopotamia. So they had a whole different range of gods for the gods of the Mesopotamians. Here are the gods of the Egyptians. So the Egyptians had many, many different gods. Okay, so here are even more gods of the Egyptians. And even the Greeks, uh, many, many centuries later, they also had many, many different gods. And so in the ancient world, the people... Uh, had a very different idea of gods. First of all, they had many, many gods. So the picture we have here in the book of Genesis is that there is only one true God. Uh, the, the moon is not a god. The, the sun is not a, a god. The, the created things are not gods. There is only one creator God who was eternal and before creation. In the ancient world, they thought of their gods as very chaotic. You know, the gods were petty, fickle, jealous, evil. They used to fight among themselves. And uh, humans were like their playthings. Okay, so it's almost as if they lived in a world of chaos where the gods could not be trusted. Uh, creation itself was an accident. It was a happenstance. And so the, the, the people of the ancient world feared their gods because they were fickle and capricious and wicked and jealous, and they lived in a world of chaos. But here we see that actually the God of the Bible is a very, very different God. The story which the Bible tells in the book of Genesis is of one true God, not many gods. And rather than having fickle or petty gods, there was only one wise, orderly, good God who created a purposeful and deliberate creation, which was, you know, everything had its place, everything had its purpose, everything was in its right use. And therefore, the God that we read in the Bible was not to be feared, but a God to be thanked. And once again, as we come back to what the Bible is saying, remember, uh, I shared with you one of the tools of being a good Bible reader is to look for 
structure, like repetition, right? repeated words, repeated themes, things which keep being repeated. And we see once again that one of the themes that gets repeated here in the Bible is that God saw that it was good. Right? God saw that it was good. God saw that it was good. Uh, in fact, on the very last uh, sections, as we come to the creation of man and woman, as we come to the very last six days, it actually was not just good. We saw that it was very, very good. So what are we to understand with this constant repetition? Why are we told that God is very good? I think part of the reason, uh, sorry, not God, but creation is very good, is because God creates in an orderly, purposeful way where everything has its use, everything has its purpose. But more than that is a reflection of the character of God. A good God who has good intentions towards his creation, good intentions towards men and women, has created a very good world and placed man and woman into this world. So he is not one of the gods that we should fear. He's not one of the many gods who are fighting among themselves where creation is just an accident. He's not a God where humans and, and women and, and men are just playthings, but he is a God who cares and who blesses and who watches over his creation. And that is emphasized in the extended section on the creation of man and woman. So let's turn again to the Bible and let's look at verse 26 onwards. Okay, so in verse 26 it says, Then God said, let us make mankind in our image, in our likeness, so that they may rule over the fish in the sea and the birds in the sky and over the livestock and all the wild animals and over all the creatures that move along the ground. So God created mankind in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. So not only does God make a very good creation, but he blesses man and woman with something unique. It says here that we are made in the image of God. Right? Let us make mankind in our image, in our likeness. Now, what is the meaning of, of being made in the image of God? What is the meaning of being made in the likeness of God? Well, I think first up, what seems to be clear is that it includes the idea of rule. Right? So let us make them in our image. Let us make mankind in our likeness so that they may rule over the fish in the sea and over the birds in the sky, over the livestock and over all the wild animals and over all the creatures that move along the ground. So part of being made in the image of God, being made in the likeness of God, must be to rule the, this good world that God has made. Now, the idea of rule means that we are like under we, we are like under rulers, under God to rule this world. So, in a sense, as God 
one of his uh, roles is to rule over creation. So we are made of God's image, rule under God over the creation that he has made. Now, I think that the idea of being made in the image of God and his likeness goes beyond the idea of rule. And the hint here is in this phrase, let us make mankind in our image, in our likeness. Now, we're not going to spend forever on this, but isn't it strange? Because I, I had just been saying all along that in the ancient world, they believed in the pantheon of gods, many pluralities of gods. Right? And, then, and I was saying that uh, if you look at the Bible, there's only one true God. But then suddenly in verse 26, God refers to himself as an us, as an our, as a plural. So what, what, do we, what does it mean? What's happening here? It seems as if God is complex in his nature. Right? He is singular, but he also has different uh, persons, so to speak. Now, as people who have read the New Testament, we can read back from the New Testament into the, the Bible in Genesis chapter 1, and we understand a bit more of what God is talking about here when he refers to himself as an us, as a plural. Let us make mankind in our image. Let us make mankind in our likeness. So if we come back to Genesis chapter 1, verse 1 to 3, we see this idea of plurality come out in the Trinity of God. Trinity as we understand it in the New Testament, and it's reflected in the very beginning of creation. So uh, as we look here in this passage, it says, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And as we have seen in our Apostles' Creed, as we understand a bit more from the rest of the Bible, this means God, the Father. Now the earth was formless and empty. Darkness was over the surface of the deep. And the, what does it say there? The Spirit of God was hovering over the water. So here we see the next person of the Trinity, the Holy Spirit was there at creation, hovering over the water. Verse 3, And God said, Let there be light. And there was light. And so as we look at the book of John chapter 1, you can look it up in your own time. But the word, as we understand in John chapter 1 in the Gospels, is Jesus, the Son. He is the word. He is part of the creation the creative power of God in creation. And so as we look at Genesis chapter 1, verse 1 to 3, we already see a Trinitarian idea of God. God is one, but there are three persons in the oneness of God. God the Father, God the Holy Spirit, and Jesus the Son. And so if we, men and women, are made in the image of this Trinitarian God in relationship, it means that God made men and women to be designed to have relationships. We are designed to have relationship with God, and we're designed to have relationship with one another. And that's what makes us made in the image of God. And so as we look at this passage here today, uh, what a blessing it is, what a good God we have, that we are made in the image of God, that we have, uh, you know, we have been made in this 
perfect world of, of, of a wise and good God. And we have a, we've been placed in it, and not just placed in it on the fringe of it, but we've been placed in the center of this good world. And we've been made in the image of God to rule and to have a relationship with God and to have a relationship with one another. So here, as we uh, come back to the PowerPoint, you can see that so it says, and so God created human beings in his own image. In the image of God, he created them male and female, he created them. And so how we see that happen is that we are made to rule and we are made for relationship. So how then are we to understand Genesis chapter 1? I think that uh, as we come to Genesis chapter 1, uh, I remember reading a commentary which uh, really struck me and said, you know what Genesis chapter 1 really is? Uh, Genesis chapter 1 is a celebration of God. That's right. It's, it's actually a celebration of God and a celebration of our place in the creation. So here we see that God is a wise orderly, good God, and we are made an image of God to rule and to have relationship. Now, I was reading um, uh, this book, which I, I recommended to you many times before, about knowing God. And uh, Jack Hacker makes a really good point. He says, you know, God's nature is so important for us to understand as Christians. So what is God's nature here? God's nature is eternal, he is mighty, he is powerful, he is majestic. What is God's character like? God's character is wise, God's character is good, God's character is purposeful and orderly. And what is God's purposes? So we know his nature, his character. What is his purposes for us human beings, men and women? Well, right from the very beginning, right, Genesis. His purposes to us are for good. He intends us good things. We are made in His image. If we are able to understand all that, it really blows our mind in the way that we trust God, the way we obey God, and the way that we worship God. So in the, in the book that I was reading, Knowing God, he, uh, he actually... Um, refers to this book, it says, your God is too small. So there was a book written many years ago by this guy called J.B. Phillips, well, your God is too small. And I think for many Christians, our God is indeed too small, right? Our, our conception of God is too small. And therefore, it affects our trust of God. It affects our faith in God. It affects our worship of God. So I'm going to um, do a little poll here now. And I want to ask you this question, right? So the question is, how big is my God? Right? When you think of God, how big is your God? Okay, so I'll give you like about, it's a very easy question, only about 15 seconds to do it. Okay, uh, I think I'll close the poll soon. Many of you already answered. Okay, sure, I'll share the results with you. So many of you uh, really answered well, hopefully, since you've done Genesis and done the Bible study this week, uh, that God is really bigger than my understanding. If He is an eternal God, He creates out of nothing. He is, 
you know, someone who is brings life out of dust, so to speak, then he is much, much greater than we can ever understand. And so we are able uh, to trust God. We are able to have faith in this God. We, are, we should obey this God and we should worship Him greatly. But I think that for many Christians, uh, we don't. So I'll read you this quote again from the Knowing God book. And um, this is what he says. He says, There is one reason why our faith is so feeble and our worship is so flabby. We are modern men, and modern men, though they cherish great thoughts of man, have as a rule small thoughts of God. When the man in the church, let alone the man in the street, uses the word God, the thought in his mind is rarely of divine majesty. When you start reading Luther or Edwards or Whitfield, though your doctrine may be theirs, you soon find yourself wondering whether you have any acquaintance at all with the mighty God whom they knew so intimately. And I think that's really true because sometimes when I talk to people, um, when they say things like, oh, I disagree with God, isn't it? When you say things like, I disagree with God, aren't you basically saying your God is too small? My God is too small? Like, can you really disagree with God who created the whole world? Or when you say things like, why should I listen to God? God doesn't know everything. Well, doesn't that really mean that your understanding of God is too small? Or when you say things like, oh, I want God to be like this. Again, aren't you really saying that my God is too small, that I can dictate to God what he should be like? Or when you question miracles of Jesus, aren't you really saying that God is so small that he can't do miracles? Or when you say, I don't believe in life after death or resurrection, aren't we saying that God is too small? Or I don't believe in eternal life in heaven with God. Again, are we not saying that life is too small? So just to keep it in perspective, uh, this is where we are in creation. Uh, this is who we are. We are like this little tiny speck on a tiny planet in the middle of the huge cosmos. Uh, and, a, and a great and mighty powerful God creator. So do we really understand how big God is? And if we did, would we be asking those questions? Probably not. So in conclusion, we are just at the very beginning, the very beginning of Genesis, the very beginning of creation. And uh, I was reading this book uh, recently called, uh, a while ago called this, Do Adam and Eve uh, Really Exist? And what they said was, when we read uh, the book of Genesis, whenever we read the Bible, it's always part of a greater overarching story, right? We can never just pluck it out here and there and say, okay, we just pluck out Genesis 1 and we look at it uh, in history or science. It's always part of an overarching story. And it is because it is part of an overarching story uh, that it gives us understanding and meaning in life. So I began in the introduction by talking about my friend who has a different overarching story in his life. He, he's an atheist, so he believes everything's by chance. So there's no wonder in this world. But we are not like that. If we subscribe to the God of the Bible, we believe in the overarching story of God, who's a mighty creator, who creates a beautiful world, a good world, and put us in the middle to rule and to have relationship. But as we look in the world around us today, we do not see this beautiful creation. We see chaos, the chaos of, uh, 
of uh, oppression, the chaos of COVID-19, the, the oppression of uh, the, the, the darkness of uh, global warming. So why do these things happening? Why are these things happening? Uh, that's where we have to come and listen to the rest of Genesis in Genesis chapter 2, 3 onwards and the rest. So as we see this good creation, uh, we recognize that it is no longer the case today. Uh, so let's come back next week to find out more from Genesis 2 and 3 and 4 onwards. Uh, what has gone wrong with this good creation that this good God has given us? And all the more as we look at the fallenness of this world, uh, we need to see how we really need Jesus Christ. Because the overarching story of the Bible uh, does not end at the creation, but instead it ends at Jesus Christ, who restores us back to this great relationship that we are meant to have with God. So let's go to God in prayer as we commit to Him what we've learned today. Dear Father, as we come before you today, we really want to thank you for you are our mighty God. You are a mighty creator. You are Elohim. Dear Father, we thank you that you are a God of order, a wise God, a good God. You have good purposes for us. You have made us in your image to rule this world and for relationship with one another and to you. So dear Father, as we who know you through Jesus, help us to always recognize that you are truly mighty in every way. And because you are mighty, we are able to have faith in you, no matter the circumstances and seasons of life. We are able to choose to obey you because you are that great God. We are able to have faith in you uh, even when the world uh, seems to be falling down around us because you are that great and mighty God. And so we pray for all these things in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. Thanks for listening to this podcast brought to you by Bethany Trinity Presbyterian Church. For more information, visit us online at bcpc.sg.